If you will, take your Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 2. We have been in a series called, But Now in Christ Jesus. And today's text contains those words. Uh, That is the source of this title. Uh, God has changed everything for us. There is a before and an after the Lord Jesus. And the Apostle Paul is writing to a group of what we would call Gentiles, These are Gentile believers, those who have converted to Christianity, but they were not uh, of God's historic chosen people. These were uh, outside of that. In fact, a Gentile is anybody other than a Jewish person in this context. And he's writing this letter to them, trying to convince them, trying to persuade them that they are secure in their salvation, that their status as Christians is as certain as that of God's people, the Jews, who are very hateful toward the Gentiles. And so chapter 2 here, we come to a point of before and after. Uh, We saw this last week with coming from death to life, and this week we see it uh, again in the last part of chapter 2. I brought a picture for you that I thought was kind of nice, a little before and after (laughs) picture here. A dog before its bath and after its bath. I like the before picture, don't you? I mean, it's a little, a little more fluffy and pleasant. But maybe you've uh, felt like this in your life. You've been through something or uh, you've been through it before I had this job and after I left it, you know. Uh, be, you know before this time of life and, and after this time of life. There's a change that takes place. Something is forever different And there's no going back. And that's the picture that the Apostle Paul, that the Word of God is painting here for the group of original hearers and for us today. When Jesus comes, everything changes and it is trustworthy and permanent. And so we'll start in verse 11 here in just a moment. If you don't have a Bible with you today, these words will be on the screen. I always think it's good to bring your Bible to church and you don't have to. I know... Many of you have your phones, and that's good, too. It's just my opinion. It's nice to have your companion, your Bible, your copy of God's Word with you. And there ought to be something distinct about the Word of God uh, than all the other media that we consume in our life. That's just me, and I'm an old fogey now. So uh, that's just uh, my thoughts for this day. But if you don't have yours on this morning, they will be uh, on the screen And if you don't have a copy of God's Word in your life, we don't want anyone leaving here today without a good, reliable copy of God's Word. Those are on the table in the back for you. Don't miss those as you go out. There's no cost to you. If you need that, take it. Uh, They're they're trustworthy, and you can take that for yourself. No problem at all. The Jews and the Gentiles hated, and I mean hated, each other. I mean, they, they, they couldn't stand the sight, the thought, the smell, the notion of one another. In fact, the Jews would say of Gentiles that that they are merely here to fuel the fires of hell. Now, that's not a godly attitude. That doesn't arise from their status as God's people. That's just hatefulness. They They had a rule that it is unlawful to assist a Gentile woman who is in labor because that would be merely bringing into the world another Gentile. They hated each other. And the Gentiles hated them back. 
It was a severe situation. And so you can see how the gospel has come to the Gentiles, that they would be fearful and concerned. What does this mean for us? I mean, what does this mean for our relationship with other Christians who may happen to be Jewish Christians? What does it mean for our relationship with God? Are we as accepted? Do we have as strong a relationship with our Father? Can we access Him as naturally and as lovingly as they can? Because it doesn't feel that way. It doesn't seem that way. Paul, are we secure in what you've, the, the gospel you have preached to us. And the Apostle Paul, I think assuming he may be near uh, death or near uh, a permanent imprisonment, uh, writes them this letter to assure them. And he assures us today, the before and the after. So let's read in verse 11, and then we'll continue on to verse 22. Therefore... Remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh, called, quote, the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision. These were terms of derision that were hurled back and forth. Y'all are uncircumcised Gentiles. Oh, y'all are circumcised, you know, people. It was just a term back and forth of, of accusation. You Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Paul's saying there that, listen, that that's, it's less consequential than you might think. It's simply made in the flesh by hands. It is a physical thing. He would speak in one of his other epistles of the circumcision, a spiritual circumcision, a, a, a real putting off of the flesh, of the fleshly desires, a putting off of that spiritually, not merely physically, And so Paul is minimizing this here. Remember, verse 12, that you were at that time separated from Christ. Christ is just another word for Messiah. In fact, it's the Greek word for Messiah. It's not Jesus' last name. Although it's become that, and we we call him Jesus Christ. It really should be Jesus the Christ. Uh, They were separated from a Savior. They needed a Savior. Boom. Separate and tough. No Savior. They were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. They had no homeland. They had no family. And strangers to the covenants of promise. All throughout history, God had related uh, lovingly with his people Israel through uh, unbreakable promises that he had made. The, The Davidic covenant. Uh, the Noahic covenant, you could go on the Abrahamic covenant. Over and over, God is making promises and giving assurance and blessings and benefits through these covenants. But the Gentiles, guess what? Were strangers. They were outside of that. The blessings of God, the family of God, the citizenship in God's kingdom, the, the, the access to the Savior was all a foreign thing to the Gentiles. Having no hope, the Bible says, having no hope and without God in the world. Can you imagine that? Doesn't that hit home to you just a little bit? Having no hope. Can you imagine today being without God in the world? It's bad enough to be without God, but to be without God in this broken, hostile world, 
in a world that's full of sin and death and loss and hurt and heartache and pain. And that, can you imagine being with no God to be, to be condemned in your sin? Want to call out to a Savior, no Savior, you're outside. So that, that is their condition before Christ. And today that is not unique of the Gentiles. It is true of all of us, of every human being, before Jesus Christ, before you were saved, before faith in Christ, we could read these verses, and you ought to, and you ought to see yourself there. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in Gainesville, in the world, in your life. Verse 13 is powerful. But now in Christ Jesus. Some of the most welcome words in all of existence, if you're in that former condition, that languishing thirst for anything of God, of your creator, of a home and a father, and all of a sudden it pivots and the truth has come, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Thank God for the blood of Christ. All of this pivots and hinges on one thing. And if this one thing was gone, was never given, was not there, then we would be stuck in verses 11 and 12. That would be us now and into eternity. We indeed all would be fuel for the fires of hell. But now in Christ Jesus, by the blood of Christ we have been brought near, and we can praise the Lord for the blood of Christ. Verse 14, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one, and has broken down in his flesh, in his flesh he did it, the dividing wall of hostility. This is referring to, I think, both the dividing wall of hostility, Jew and Greek, Jew and Gentile, like we talked about, and between God, mostly between the two groups, I think. He has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances. Aren't you glad he had the authority to do that? I mean, you can't just abolish something unless you're able to, and he just abolished it. He abolished it in his flesh. That's what God did, this dividing wall between one another, this dividing wall between us and God expressed in ordinances. The ordinances might be circumcision for one. The keeping of certain feasts and Sabbaths. These are ceremonial laws and ordinances. These are not the moral laws and ordinances. Uh, it's not the, the morality that God revealed of himself in the law is not abolished, but many of these rituals, these ordinances, they're abolished so that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two. They're not separation anymore. You could replace the word man there with race or people. One new, one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Verse 17. And he came and preached peace 
that is the Lord Jesus, to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. There's equality there. You need peace. You need peace. Jews, you need peace. Gentiles, you need peace. He preached the same to both of you who were far off and who were, who were near. For through him, we both, equality again, we both have access in one spirit, not two spirits, not a good, better spirit and a worse spirit, in one spirit to the Father, the one Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household, the family of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, that is to say the, the word of God, built on the foundation of, uh, of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Holy Spirit. That's a mouthful, isn't it? There's a lot there. We're going to cover what we can today of this in three points. The question is this, how does the arrival of Jesus change it all for us? I think there are three ways we see here. The first is this, Jesus makes the far near. Jesus makes the far near. You've experienced this in your life, haven't you? You've been far off from Christ and been brought near by his love, by his grace, by the sacrifice of his son. And the Bible goes to magnificent links here to, to paint a picture of extreme farness. How far is Jesus able to, to reach into and bring near? The answer would be very far. How far, verses 11 and 12, describe this for us. We've talked through this. This is a death sentence that they are living in. Uh, the, the farness of the Gentiles from God, the farness of the unregenerate, the unbelieving world from God is very far. It is impossibly far. But through Jesus, God is able to make the far to come near. I have a strange little dream that recurs in my life. I'm told this is common of pastors and you probably had a dream similar to this too but I have a dream where it's time for church and I can't get to church sometimes it's as simple as I can't get my shirt buttoned you know I, I just I fumble with it and hours are going by and I know the time is approaching I need to look at the sermon again and I need to stand here before you I can't get there sometimes I'm broken down in the middle of the highway and I'm standing on a on a, a, a an interstate median right in the middle there Cars going this way and that way on either side of me. I know I got to get to church. I go to dial my cell phone. I can't get the fingers to, to dial the right number. I need somebody to come get me and bring me here. It's an, it's an impossibly far distance. Maybe you've had that dream for a job interview. You lay awake all night thinking about the job interview, and you realize, hey, <clears throat> listen, I, I'm not going to be able to get there. There's something stopping me. We have this, don't we? This happened, have you ever had it happen in real life? Have you ever known the, the exasperation, I guess, of this happening in real life? When somebody calls you on the phone and says, hey, the baby is coming. It's your first grandchild, and you want to be there. The distance is great, and you, you try for it, and you're heading down the road, but there's traffic, and there's time, and it's happening, and all of a sudden you realize there's no hope. 
I'm not going to make it in time. Somebody calls you and says, family, it's time to gather. Listen, with all seriousness in their voice on the phone, you don't even stop to ask who it is. They say, you need to get down here now. It's, It's unfolding, and you want to get there, and you want to cover that distance But listen, you try and you try, you tie your shoes, all this seems to be taking forever, and halfway there, you get the call, hey, it's done, it's over. The distance is an impossible one to cover. There's a desperation in that, and there's a desperation here for those who are unsaved, for those who are outside of Christ. It is an an impossible barrier to cover, and in this case, the barrier is between them, between us, and between our God and our only hope of salvation, our only possibility of eternity. I want you to know this morning, if the notion of the blood of Christ has become small in your eyes, if it's become weak somehow or routine to us, I want you to remember it is the one thing that shorten the impossible distance between you and God. We can praise God for the blood of Christ this morning. If there's no power in it to secure your confidence, if there's no power in it to move your life this morning, there's a word for us today, and that word is to remember. Remember what it was like before. Jesus makes the far near. That's what it's telling us here. This is powerful for our lives. But secondly, Jesus brings outsiders in. He brings outsiders in. We see this in verse 14 through 16. This bringing near that's happened through the blood of Christ has some confusing implications for the Gentiles because the Jews strictly excluded outsiders from drawing near to God. How's this going to work, Paul? Lord, how's this going to work? You brought us near, but how's this going to work? The way it works, according to this text, is now there is only one way to draw near to God. The law and the ordinances, all this abolished. There is one way to draw near to God for everyone, for every person, Jew or Gentile, for all of us, for the one here and for the one across the world, there is one way. For the one in the the densely populated urban center of the largest city on the globe, the one who grew up on a farm right down the road here, there is one way to get to God for all, and that is through Jesus the Christ. He is the only way. And those who do draw near to him, Those who do come to God through him are made into one new man, one new race, one new body. We call that the church. We call that Christian. You're a Christian now. I'm a Gentile. Yeah, I was born. No, no, no. You're you're the church. You're the bride. You're the body. You're the family. You're a Christian now, but, 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 but sir, I'm a Jew. I, I have all the privileges of, of, of God. I ought to achieve a higher. No, sir, you are a Christian. We all approach the foot of the cross with equality because Jesus brings outsiders in, and now we are all, all of us, outsiders in need of being brought in. That's the reality here. You ever been swimming when you were a kid? We used to swim at my great aunt's pool, her neighborhood pool. 
we would go over there, little pool, and all the kids were, you know, jumping and being crazy, and I had a brother and a sister, and there were times that we would be fighting just awful with each other, you know. If you had brother and sister, maybe you fight, you fought too. We did. We fought big time, and so we'd be fighting in the pool and tears and blood and eyeballs. No, nothing. It wasn't that bad, but uh, but we'd be, you know, just it would get too much to the point that my mom would say, all right, everybody, what? Out of the pool, right? That is the worst thing that can happen to you when you're swimming. I don't know what it is. It's just devastating. So we'd be out of the pool sitting on the side there, and before long, something strange would happen. What would happen? We'd start becoming friends. We'd say, why were we friends now? Because we had one common hatred. No, sorry. <laughs> one, one common enemy now. Who was that enemy? My mom, the unfairness of this. Can you believe this? My brother's name is Blaine. My sister's name is Lee. Can you believe this? And before long, we were unified in our common derision uh, of, of her. And <clears throat> I say that <laughs> just to point uh, to a, a kind of mirror image of that. That's what is happening here. Uh, of all of our differences in the world, and boy, have we not walked through some awful years of this recently in our world and on the news and in our cities. And, 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 and honestly, I think in some cases there are those who uh, have made uh, very much of this, but we've walked through a lot of this recently. And the, the truth of God's word is because of Christ, we who were once all different, all enemies, we have been all made to be one new man because we have one new focus, not of hatred, not a new focus of anger that we've been set out of the pool, but we all have one singular need for salvation. And we all have been given one singular Savior. Our focus is on the one, and we belong to him. I tell you, the the most special worship that I've had lately has been when we went to our friends across town at the Vietnamese church, and then they came over here to worship with us. And from what I heard from you, the feedback I got, <clears throat> you experienced some of that too. It's amazing, isn't it? I, many of those people were born across the world. They were born in a, a, a country that was once a, f a fierce enemy to the United States. And the, 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 the wounds of that conflict still lie deep and devastating uh, in, in our national mindset and in many lives in this country. Yet here we are in this room and in that room together just raising the name of Jesus do you know why? There is a doctrinal, a theological, there is a biblical reason for that. He has made us one new man. It's a reality. It's an actuality. <clears throat> Stan, in Uganda, we're over there in a room with no windows, with people who we never, I've never met before. Stan took me over to Uganda. The worship there was the, the sweetest worship you can imagine. The Holy Spirit was there in both power and personal presence in brazil when we went there a couple of years ago <clears throat> on a concrete pad with people that don't speak the same language but we were singing the same tune we were glorifying the name of the one and only living christ 
There's power in this unity here. Through faith in Jesus Christ, the vilest sinner is made a 100% full member of the people of God. Do you believe that today? The vilest sinner can be made a 100% full member of the people of God. The newest Christian has a firm sta- as firm a standing as the most seasoned saint. The one God lifts out of the sorriest family or the most impoverished home is as perfectly privileged before the cross as the one life, <clears throat> as the one that life has granted one of the highest stations you can imagine. That's the truth here. The one crying out from the African plain, as the song says, or the Amazon rain has as strong a hearing before God as your saintly first grade Sunday school teacher right here on Poplar Springs Church Road. Christ has come. Christ has come, and the way is open to God. Do you believe that this morning? Jesus brings outsiders in. Praise God. But lastly, Jesus gives the orphaned a homecoming. I love how God's grace is on display here in this last section, verses 17 through 22. His grace, his love is on display. These uh, Gentiles who were frightened and uncertain believers who had no spiritual home, God lovingly paints a picture of what? Family. We've gone through the death to life. We've, we've gone through all these pictures here. And, and he builds into this almost as if God sees their hearts and knows their needs. And, and, and in a moment says, I'm going to speak to them as family now. What they really are asking, what they're really longing for is, do I have a place? Do I have a home? And he begins to paint this picture here, a picture of a citizenship. Do you see that? You're not strangers and aliens anymore. Your fellow citizens, a picture of fatherhood. You have access to God the Father here. He could have called God anything in this text. Lord, right? Deliverer. I mean, all of these things are meaningful for us, but he chooses Father. You have access to your Father. You're not strangers. You're citizens. You're members of the household, the family of God. Uh, It is a house built on a foundation that is immovable. You're secure in this house. This is a house, it's your forever home, if you will. God is here. Uh, We're building a house, and we're doing it around the cornerstone of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. All the angles of that house, all the the walls and the, the, everything is determined because it is fixed upon that cornerstone. This house will be built right. You're going to have a home that is founded on the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Praise God for this picture of family, for those of us who need that, who need to be reminded, for those of us who've, who've lost our family, for those of us who have turmoil in our family, for those of us who've grown old together and suddenly find ourselves alone with no family. We've outlived those that were dearest to us. God speaks in today and says, uh, you have a family, and this house is solid this house is forever it means four things it means access to god it means status as citizens they're not taking that away they're not changing your your passport uh your it means strength but lastly it means shape 
it means shape. Here's what, built on Christ Jesus, the cornerstone. That means that your life, if it is built on that cornerstone, if it is growing and angled and, and, and designed based on its fixed to the cornerstone, Jesus Christ, it means your new life looks like him, and it doesn't look like who you once were. I'm a, I'm a Gentile. Can I be sure that I'm safe in Christ? You can be so sure because that's not who you are anymore. You take a look at yourself, take a look at your life, and you'll see that you look like the Savior. Reese and I were at Target the other day. All of us were. <clears throat> but we went to, I always like to go to this one aisle. Anybody know about the hearth and hand, the Magnolia people? Y'all, I know you know about them. Don't be shy. Anybody? Okay, thanks. I don't want to be alone in that. Uh, listen, I like to go to that aisle and look at the baskets that they make and stuff. Don't judge me for that, uh, but I do. They make nice little baskets and Reese and I went on that aisle to look at the baskets and the, you know, all the, the decor. Some of the stuff on the tables in the church are by them. We were there, and we were looking. They had some little tiny Christmas trees on clearance uh, that I was thinking about getting. And a lady was down the aisle, and uh, out of nowhere, didn't know her, never seen her before, she spoke to Reese, and she said, you look just like your dad. And I turned to her and I said, who's his dad, you know? <laughs> I want to say, I don't know him, you know, but she said, you look just like your dad. And we joked with her and said, thank you, and, and moved off. But you know that's true. You look like those that you're built from. You talk like them. The family you come from, you start to form your words like them. Even the meter and, and the, the progress of how you uh, break up your language, all of this stuff comes from them. Your posture, how you, how you stand, how you eat. I mean, all of this, if you watch the dad and you watch the son, if you watch the mother and you watch the daughter, you can begin to see this come out. Your mannerisms, your habits, the football teams you like. I watched a little video the other day of a uh, father and a little baby son. I mean, just barely able to sit up on the couch. Probably maybe two years old, I don't know, sitting there watching a football game. You couldn't see the game, but you could see them on the couch. And uh, something big happened on the TV. You don't know what. <clears throat> and the, the little boy, his face grew. He started smiling, and, and, and he was just ch cheering to the, I mean, as, as best he could. He was so overjoyed, but it was the wrong team. And the dad, the dad sitting next to him was like, oh, oh, and just, just, and the boy looked at him, and in just a moment, the boy was mm, just as mad as the dad was. We look like our families, don't we? You like Ford or Chevrolet? You didn't get that from nowhere, right? And so praise God in this moment here, something miraculous happens. God sets a cornerstone, a foundation of the word of God, the prophets and the apostles. And on that foundation, the cornerstone, Christ Jesus, you're not a Gentile anymore. You, believer, redeemed of God, delivered out of your sin, are not what you once were. You're not that anymore. You are positioned upon the cornerstone, and you have begun to grow into looking like your new family. That is who 
you are. Members of God's family have claim to an identity that is determined by whose you are, not who you once were. And that is an undeniable spiritual, spiritual reality. Nobody can take that away from you, but it ought to be an earthly reality as well. It, 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 is, it is possible for God to have done a work in here, to have moved you from one to the other, death to life, from before and after. But really in the world, for you to be operating, drawn back into who you once were, don't let that be you. God has done this at great cost to himself and has dearly loved you to call you his own. Make that spiritual reality a reality in your life right here. I thank God for the before and after, don't you? He's done something. It's real. It's described to us here. If you want to analyze it, the analysis is right here about what God did and how he did it. I want to ask you this morning, which one are you living in? The before or the after? If you're under the sound of my voice in this room or any place else or any time else today, and you're still living in the before, if you're still in verse 11 and 12, uh, well, you don't have to remember that time. You're in that time. Listen, your eternal destiny is in peril because God has offered his son. He has sent the light into the world, but men have loved the darkness. If you are living in the before, then you need to take the Savior's hand. Let him lead you to that new family and plant you on him as a cornerstone. Forgive you of your sin. Set your destiny for eternity forever. Let him give you a real, a new, an everlasting father. Let him do that. And today, if you are a believer, and you're the one who, yes, yes, God has placed me in the after section. I'm definitely in the after. I know he saved me. But to look at your life, we would have trouble reckoning which one you're in. Then you need to do business with God as well. You come to him and ask, ask him to shape you after the cornerstone, the Lord Jesus Christ. God can change it all for you today. It's up to you to let him. Let me pray for us. Just a moment, as we always do, I'd like to ask you to consider <clears throat> responding to God in some way. We open up the floor for this so that those of you who feel led to can come forward and ask for prayer from me or pray on your own. You can come forward and express a decision to follow Christ. If today you need to do that, listen, no one here is going to embarrass you. Uh, we're going to stand with you, celebrate with you, embrace you, and walk with you through this. You come if you need to. Don't let anything, anything stop you from that. If you need to come for some other reason, for church membership, or if you need to come for baptism today, listen, the, the first step in following Jesus is to do what he asks us to do, what he commanded us to do, and go to those waters of baptism. And show him and show the world we're serious about this thing. If you need to go to those waters, let us help you get there. We know what to do. We'll stand with you. Lord, we thank you for the word of God today. <clears throat> we thank you for, uh, for trusting it to us. Father, I pray that it will have gone forth in power in this room. By your own power. Father, my voice is not important, but Father, you have a voice that is able to speak perfectly and personally to every heart here. 
You have been their creator. You have known them and loved them. You know their language, God. And I pray in the language that they will hear this morning, Holy Spirit, move us. If there are those here who need to be saved, move us, Lord, irresistibly. If there are those who need to confront our sin and repent, come back to you, move us, God. Holy Spirit, speak this morning. And Father, I pray that each one here would, would be open and exposed to you having your way and your way only. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing. And as we do, the floor is open for you.